A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in today's episode? I interviewed Winfried Etzel, who's an information strategy consultant at the consulting company Bouvet. He's also a board member of Dama Norway and a host of the Metadema podcast, which has episodes in both English and Norwegian. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Winfried's point of view. First, transformation teams, uh, a team that helps domains to transform and upskill by embedding in the domain for a time, is an exciting pattern for Data Mesh. If you'll recall, Scott Hawkins' episode talked about the same thing. Number two, transformation teams can collect information more easily and find patterns as they are closely collaborating with more domains. Number three, think of transformation teams like a personal trainer. They help you get in shape so you can learn what exercises to do and how, but then you can work on your own and you can engage them again if you need more help and new training in in other areas. Number four, how can we give guidance and enable change at the same time? The transformation teams shouldn't do the work for the domains, but need to work with them. Jason in his episode talked about something similar. Can we go broad in the organization if we only have a limited number of transformation teams? Do we need to be in that much of a hurry where that's an issue? Number five, in data, we should look to take many learnings from software engineering, but also other disciplines, history, political science, law, manufacturing, etc. All have something to teach us to better approach sharing our information with each other. I think Ole Olesen-Bagnew talked about this a little bit on his episode as well about 
we shouldn't just take understanding of domains from the software side. We shouldn't just take it domain-driven design. We should look elsewhere. Number six, quote unquote, data is a message to people in the future. Neither of us could remember who exactly said that, um, but it's important. Like, what do you want to tell them? Data products are how we communicate with those people in the future. Number seven, data maturity models are crucial so you can self-reflect. Are we really willing and capable to do what we need? And how can we measure how well we are maturing our capabilities? Number eight, we need to adopt better change management principles in data if we really want to create data citizens. And you should explain how data is important to their role to drive buy-in. Number nine, potentially look at using a big bang approach to organizational changes if it is something like upskilling or even some ways of working. Doing a big bang approach with new responsibilities, though, is probably more challenging and less likely to work. Number 10, data ethics as a practice is relatively immature. Companies often don't see a purely business value to training people to act ethically. At most, the return on investment is indirect. Maybe we can figure out how to discuss it relative to, you know, people retention. <laughs> hey, don't want to feel like you're doing evil? <laughs> Stay with us and we're not going to do bad things with people's data. Maybe it's customer retention too. How many people want to be creepy and overstep with data simply because they can? I know there are people out there that do, but like there are a lot that don't feel so good about it. So we have to figure that out. And, you know, just doing the right thing as well. <laughs> Number 11, many data mature domains not only want to build everything themselves, they also want to set their own definitions and standards for things like data products. It may be a challenge getting them to participate in data mesh at all, right? I think what uh, Sonny uh, Jaisingani and um, Simon Massey said in their episode was that the consumers will put pressure on them and say, you have to participate because we want to be able to interoperate our data. And finally, number 12, when finding initial domains to work with in, data, in a data mesh implementation, look for domains with the capacity to change, both the willingness and the ability. They will understand what they need to do and why, even if they can't do it yet, and they're willing, right? They're going to get there. They're, they're going to work with you to get there. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. to attempt and how do you actually mature your implementation? You know, you don't have to start at a level where you can be at an end state data mesh at the start. So like, how do we move that um, communication, collaboration, coordination, like the three C's, I think this could be something that we might want to uh, coin of the three C's coming out of that. Um, and, and just a lot of different things. But I think um, this will be uh, a very fun and kind of free flowing conversation. So Oh, and, and Winfried is also um, 
been a, a great help in the data mesh community, especially in Norway. He's been doing a bunch of, of events and kind of bringing together in people in Norway as well. So um, I'm, I'm really happy that he's been doing that. It's been a help to me where I don't have to manage every country and every location. So with that, uh, Winfried, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself and your background, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure. Um... Winfried, I'm originally from uh, Germany, and um, well, 15 years ago, I moved to Norway to live there for half a year, learn a new language. Um, then I met my wife. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's that story. Um, but it's been fantastic. And um, I've been working with uh, data and data management and data governance for a while now, um, currently at um, Bouvet, which is a Norwegian consultancy. And um, yeah, um, Scott, you already mentioned it. Um, I've been active in the data mesh community, um, trying to organize some meetups for the data mesh Norway community, uh, which is a great community. Uh, I, I know you had a couple of people on the show uh, already. Um, and a lot of them are front runners in, in implementing data mesh or have at least... Um, gotten on a, on a certain on a certain track there especially in the public services yeah um, yeah and, and we yeah. had uh Vic, uh veronica heiderlein hjogberg as well who was formerly working in in norway and is now in germany so you two swapped did a, a question i would have about that is did you go at the wrong time of year and you actually got stuck in norway or <laughs> you got stuck <laughs> in the snow or <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, um, that was uh, that was love, uh, pure love. I <laughs> so, um, so I, yeah, I think um, that's a great uh, kind of uh, introduction to what what you've been uh, working on prior to this. But I think it leads into a good conversation about you've been talking with a lot of people in Norway about implementing data mesh, like, and you've you're starting to see some patterns yourself, right? You're looking at, at some people, we've all seen this, where some people want to just plow ahead with data mesh before doing the pre-work, right? Assessing the things and, and actually going at, at a proper pace for themselves. So like, can you tell uh, me a little bit about what you started to do around this organizational design pattern? We can kind of dig into different aspects of that. Sure. Um... Before that, there are a couple of things um, related to the data mesh community in Norway that were um, great inputs and great learnings. Um, so we're organizing meetups and workshops and, um, and maintaining a network in Norway. And um, the questions that come up um, are quite interesting because mostly we talked about um, data as a product. We talk about uh, discoverability um, of data products. And we talk about um, that domain-driven design. And that kind of indicates where, where the problems lie, right? Um, and then there's an, a whole another topic there, um, that federated uh, computational governance that I, I don't think no, uh, anyone grasps <laughs> fully uh, yet. Um, so that's from the, from the data mesh community side. Um, I also do um, a podcast in Norway, which is called uh, Metadema, which is a podcast for, um, well, an arena for Nordic professionals, 
um, to showcase their work. Um, and also there we talk about um, domain-driven design, data products um, as the main topics. So these are probably the topics where people are uh, working on or are um, mainly concerned with. Um, on my daily work as a consultant, looking more towards the organizational design patterns for um, for, for data and not data mesh in particular, but also um, how do you organize data management? How do we organize data governance? Um, so I think that data mesh is a topic that everyone likes to talk about, <laughs> um, at least for the last two years. And um, there are certain expectations or associations uh, linked to the term. And um, so that, that's why we don't try to, to title our work. Like we, we try to implement um, organizational patterns for data mesh um, just because we don't know what people are expecting or what associations they have. Um, just basically trying to avoid um, the buzzwordiness um, around it. And I... Um, Kind of a side note, but I see that also data governance, data quality, um, has become kind of turned into buzzwords. Um, so we, we try to talk a bit more about the the elements of what what is um, um, data product. How do we define a domain driven design? Um, how do we define data data governance? And not talking about um, the concept on a conceptual level um, during the implementation. Yeah, I think that's uh, helpful as to, I've been, I struggle even in, in this podcast because there are so many different topics that we could dig into. Like I, I've had four or five episodes that were just on domain-driven design. You know, I've had multiple other ones that covered um, DDD in some depth. And um, I, I think it's really difficult in a lot of instances to even taking all that information and going, okay, but how do I use this information that I've done? And we really struggle in the data space historically when I've, I've looked at kind of the way people even get their information. You know, there is Dama and there is uh, other things like that, but most of it is vendor produced. And so they're saying we solve your your problems, we solve your challenges. Use us, buy us, and all is good. Or you know, some consultancy is saying, okay, we'll we'll fix all of your challenges. Versus like, okay, what actually happens when you're trying to do this stuff? Like, what are the actual questions you have to answer for yourself? No one else can answer. You know, you can have a consultant come in and help you answer it, but. If I give you a cookie cutter approach, if I give you the template and say, this is the way everything should do, it's obviously wrong because there are certain aspects of your, your company that really matter. And, and even like the governance thing can be different from domain to domain. If somebody really, really gets their governance, then they can take on more of that governance in that domain and it's fine. You know, Sarita Baxt at JB Morgan Chase was talking about that. And you'd think, you know, a, a big old bank that, that gets uh, pretty heavily um, regulated and, and has all sorts of compliance and all that stuff, that they would be like, oh, no, we really need this centralized governance. And they're like, no, I mean, we give people the, the capability to do their own governance, but then they also have the accountability. We 
we are federating accountability as well. If they have questions, they need to come to us. We are there to be helpful. We are there to be a force multiplier, but we're also not there to make the decisions when they're the ones who know the decisions, right? A GDPR decision or something like that, data sovereignty, that domain may not know that. And so then there is governance backup to help them. But when it's like, hey, is this PII? Okay, yes, you know, somebody's name or address. Okay, it's kind of obvious that this phone number is there as PII. But like within even the um, medical space, there's like this, um, this concept of multiple aspects of a same person. If you have three, you know, like separate diagnoses, you can, you can figure out who that person is if you have that. And kind of they're like, maybe their general area, you can figure out exactly who that person is. So it becomes personal, personally identifiable and all that stuff. So, yeah, so I think that's, that's really helpful in, in thinking about how we um, start to approach that. How, how do those conversations really go, right? Like people have these questions. How are you taking them from their questions to value? Maybe you could go through one about governance or one about discoverability or GDD or, or whatever, but like, how do you start to get them to go from, okay, I kind of get what it is to, okay, I can get moving. That's a really interesting question. Um, so we have been experimenting a lot with um, how we, how we face those questions and who would be the right person to ask the right questions at the right time to the right people. Um, which is not an easy task. Um, so what, what we came up with, and I think someone on your podcast earlier talked about something similar. Um, we talked about transformation teams um, that are kind of task force or SWAT team um, that help um, mature uh, and capture good initiatives um, throughout the business. So across domains, uh, really. Um, so these are people that can facilitate as I said, ask the right question, but also collaborate with a certain domain over a longer period of time, um, mature their needs, um, but also help them on their journey. And when we talk about the journey, we're not talking just about uh, the journey of producing data products. Uh, we also talk about that data literacy uh, journey, um, help people to understand, work with, analyze, argue with data. Um, so, those transformation teams are teams that are centrally organized. So reason for that is that they can see um, initiatives across domains. So they're not limited to um, the one domain view, right? They have the, the 3D or 4D view of the organization. Um, they can also help determine the value or success of an initiative um, at a quite early stage, um, right? You can look at what what do we have available um, in terms of, of, of data sets. Um, and if, if those don't really match up and, and the quality that we expect to gain the result we want to gain, then maybe that's another step uh, in between that you have to take, right? Um, be, before you actually can, can go on with your initiative and create value. Um, part of that has also been um, experimenting a lot with combining data and the classic field of change management. 
um, which is a really interesting topic. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. Because um, on the one side, you you have data governance, right? Providing rules, providing guidelines. Um, but you also need someone to enable and facilitate the change. Um, so what about just combining both of them? Um, having the people that give the guidance that produce the guidance also to enable the change, or at least work closely together, um, which is kind of an interesting notion. Um, it's kind of like um, you... There's a chance for that. Um, everyone is playing Monopoly, um, but every domain is playing with different rules. Um, and then everyone is kind of winning or losing at the same time, right? Because no one knows what <laughs> what is actually the goal. So we are trying to have that centrally organized to have a central rule engine, but also, um, yeah, facilitating the change. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and, and um, so I think the person you're probably talking about is Scott Hawkins, which is um, from ITV, which is episode 48. And and I reference that one a lot because exactly what you're talking about. They There are some people who think that these transformation teams are you drop them in and they develop and they aren't transformation teams, right? You drop them in and they, they develop the data product and they leave and they give the the team that now owns it, the responsibility versus you are actually transforming that domain. I think it's important. I, I like that phrasing, that labeling of it because you are transforming that domain, right? You're, you're upskilling them. You're giving them the capabilities to actually own and manage their data and their data products instead of you're just doing the work for them. You know, there's um, I, I don't know if it's the same in, in uh, Norway, but in the U.S., um, parents with their kids with um, projects and homework and things like that, you know, the, the common joke is that the parents end up doing half of the project or, or most of the project and things like that. Um, I, I don't know if that was something other people's parents were doing. Mine, mine certainly were like, no, nah, this is your work. You got to do it yourself. But like, you don't learn how to actually do this if somebody just hands it to you. Um, I've been reading the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov. And um, a big thing in um, the Foundation series, especially kind of in the books that he wrote that were before, you know, when he wrote them after the first three books came out, but they're the prequel books or whatever. And he's talking about these kind of cult of, of operations, where they're, they're the ones who are, you know, operating the thing that is running, but they have no idea how to actually augment it or fix it if it breaks or anything like that. They just know how to keep it running. And that's, that's not what we want. So I, I think that's um, helpful. I, I do think it can mean that you go slower. It means that you, unless you have 15 transformation teams at some point, you know, when you try and go broad with your organization, are you still trying to do transformation team domain by domain or have you learned enough and put enough into your platform that you know what you want? But when you're building out your platform, your platform is about reuse and the transformation teams understand exactly where we need to create the reuse because they keep seeing the same things over and over. The patterns emerge for them. 
which is part of what I'm doing with the podcast, right? If everybody was just having one-on-one conversations, we don't see the patterns that emerge. So sorry, talked at you a lot there, but I think it's really important. A lot of what, what you said, um, maybe one thing that you could go into is, is there is a lot of information out there about data mesh and about doing data mesh. Why do you think people are getting confused about a lot of these aspects? Is it that there's way too much conflicting? Is it that there's not clear guidance on the, so what is there like, what, what do you think is the, the challenge that people are having? Interesting question. Um, just one last thought on the transformation teams before we um, jump over to that. Um, I think in an earlier conversation you and I had, um, we talked about the transformation teams as a personal trainer uh, for the data domains. And I think that's a great analogy because um, you're helping them. You, you're going through the motions together with the domain um, to make them ready right? Um, to, to actually gain their own value. Yeah, they they can get their strength up. They can they they can get the routines. They understand the routines, and the, that you know you can keep working with them on other things. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, when it comes to um, all that information that's floating out there around um, data mesh, uh, and I agree, it, it is confusing. Um, but I think there's a couple things. Um, you mentioned already something, um, and that is that there are a couple of vendors out there um, who are trying to gain capital through data mesh, trying to jump on the data mesh wagon, um, and trying to sell a product and, and framing data mesh as a product, um, which it is not. Um, that's one factor. Another thing is that data mesh is it's new. It's a paradigm shift. I agree on that. But it also builds on um, already existing um, notions like the data product. Um, data product was around before data mesh. Um, domain-driven design was around uh, before that. Um, and even even data mesh as a approach in general is, um, I think, uh, Samac uh, also talked about that, um, is a socio-technical system. And socio-technical systems have been studied since, I, I don't know when, since at least um, <laughs> for half a century, um, right? So maybe that's also part of the confusion that there's a lot of um, material around that's not coherent, that's um, related to um, to stuff that was around prior to, um, to data mesh. Yeah, I, th- I think that... I've been trying to to have some episodes around that, but it's hard to have people. Some people are like, well, I'm not enough of an expert because they're when you think about like taking DevOps approaches and applying it to data. Right. And so that's somewhat data ops, but it's also bigger than what data ops has really kind of framed itself as. And so like, how do you do the CICD? How do you really think about scalability? How do you think about making it so that um, the, the, developers can really focus on what matters instead of <laughs> the operational aspects. And so you got to give them the observability and all this uh, other things. Um, but there isn't that you, you can either go and learn about DevOps and then come up with it in your own head, or 
you can listen to somebody who maybe has applied a little bit of it, but there isn't that direct, like in a lot of cases, um, you know, I had Emily Gorsinski on and I think her episode is, is phenomenal um, because she was talking about, okay, here are SLAs, here are SLOs, here's why they matter. Here's how you apply them to data, right? Here's, here's how you do this, this direct one-to-one because we need a little bit more of that. <laughs> you can't just copy paste, but here's how you start to augment this. And here's why this is important, right? Maybe even here's, here's the, the concept and here's why it's important. And here's how you start to think about applying it. Not here's exactly how you apply it because it needs to be fit within your own things. And we also don't have the patterns for a lot of these things early on, right? SLO and SLA theory and SLIs and all that fun stuff um, around data. There's just not a lot out there written. You know, uh, Alex Hidalgo's book has a chapter on it, right? Like this is a book that needs to be written. Like, you know, I keep seeing all these silly uh, books that are coming out that, um, are like, you know, the streaming data mesh or the event-driven data mesh, which is exactly what you talked about of, okay, um, you're you're trying to make it too much about the technology instead of how can you use event-driven to build your data mesh data products, right? And that that's not as sexy of a title, but it's what you we should be talking about. So yeah. But this is really interesting. And I and if you if you want to title this episode something, then it's kind of um, we, we talk a lot about reuse or recycle concepts from software development into data. Um, and and that's exactly it, right? How can they apply to data? And there was um, something really interesting when we looked into organizational um, development. Uh, I looked into um, team topologies as a concept, and um, especially related to ways of working um, with data. And team topology is um, written for software development, right? It's not written for um, data and working with data. But it kind of marries quite well with the data domain. And um, I, I worked on that, and then I have uh, had a chat with uh, Banta Bush, who also was on uh, on your podcast about it, because um, she was also looking into that for uh, for NAV. And... Um, I figured out that Samak also talked about it in her presentations that kind of fit quite well together. Yeah, one of the authors or one of the creators, it's Matt Skelton and, and Manuel Pice. And Manuel Pice is, if you look at the uh, the stuff at the beginning of Jamak's book, he was one of the reviewers. Like team topologies is how she has viewed the change management within data mesh actually working. Because it is that, and and she's taken so many things from so many concepts, and I think uh, I'm going to work with her on on a couple of things around this. But like, what are the concepts that we need to learn? And 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 you did say one thing that I would actually push back on a little bit, which was uh, reuse and recycling concepts from software engineering. I think when we start to look at data as a product, we need to go outside of software engineering. I think you had. Um, Ole Olesen Bagnu on your podcast, and he was on on this podcast as well. And he was talking about, we need to, when we think about domains, we need to not just go to domain-driven design. We need to go to the library and information sciences space. Um, Marissa Fish, who uh, was on recently as, as well, said that of 
we need to, when we think about data as a product, when we think about these other concepts, we need to go outside of software. You know, Jamak has talked about a huge inspiration was the design of everyday things, right? That is about like physical goods. Like, uh, you know, Ala Hale was, was on recently and she was talking about like, she comes from a thing where you're actually like making chemicals. And so you actually have to go and figure out like storage and, you know, the, the manufacturing process and what do you actually need from a quality perspective from the prototype? So then you can get with the the customers and say, is this going to meet your needs? You know, do you have to get it all the way up to production level quality or not? And, and historically with data, we haven't been able to have those conversations about, is this, is this good enough for us right now as we iterate, as we, as we evolve? So, yeah. Really interesting. And, um, it's kind of, I think part of it is also that there is a need for more uh, social science and data, um, library science. Um, there has been like a lot of um, tech focus, and that's kind of a tendency that uh, STEM has, right? Um, so um, bringing in social science can, could help with that, I think. Um, I've, I've studied history. <laughs> Which is um, just the fastest way to work with data. <laughs> it's not, um, but if you if you think about the entire concept of data literacy, um, like critical think- thinking, critical working critically with different sources, analyzing data where you don't know who the author is or what intentions the author had, that's kind of what you learn by studying history, right? Um, I also studied political science. Um, which is really um, helpful in creating organizational designs, patterns, how things work together, right? How how you connect things. And um, law is really interesting um, field that I think we can learn a lot from um, when it comes to, to best ways of presenting an argument, presenting data um, in a good fashion. Um, so that, yeah, there's a lot of, fields that um, we haven't explored in, in the data wars um, that could could benefit us. And another thing that you already mentioned um, earlier, but I think it's kind of interesting to, to, to point it out a bit more, um, we talked about product management, product design, designing data products. Um, and in, for, for one customer, we we go deeper into um, the data ops um, design, um, trying to get a factory approach on manufacturing those uh, those data products. Um, so this is kind of what what learnings can we have from um, from manufacturing? Um, and we talk a bit about the, the Ford Model T production, right? First mass production, uh, mass production in general. Um, where you don't bring the experts to um, the product, but you bring the product to the experts, right? Um, so you had probably a whole bunch of different engineers earlier that um, came around, assembled around the car, and then produced it. But then with the Model T production, you put the car on a belt, right? And, the, and you bring the car to the experts, which is way more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, 
so Marissa Fish in her episode talked a little bit about this, about, um, I'm oh, sorry, Marisa, I'm pronouncing her name incorrectly. So I, I, I apologize, Marisa. Um, so she was talking about the data value supply chain and, and she made a really interesting um, insight, which is funny because one of the things is, what are you delivering? Are you delivering the information or are you delivering the insight, right? Are you are you trying to make it so somebody can derive their own insights or are you trying to deliver the insights for them? And I think we need to be clear around that intentionality. So when you're talking about production, I think historically a lot of what we've done in data is just kind of data stuff, right? Where we've done information stuffing and it's not even good information because it's not actually, it's more the data. It's the ones and the zeros. It's not the actual information about what is this. And we need to get intentional about, are we sharing information or are we sharing insights? Because when we talk about data literacy and we talk about informed uh, data-informed decisioning, right? I don't really like data driven, but that's just kind of a semantics issue. And I try and I, I end up debating semantics way more than I should because I don't like semantics issues, especially because, you know, English is such an imprecise language in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it's important to start to ask, are, should we be delivering more insights, right? Like the way that we, that Jemak, as, as far as I, I interpret her stuff, that she envisions data products is that there is some insight embedded into the way the data is shared as to how you should think about this, but there isn't the actual insight about this is what the data is telling us or what the information is telling us. And it's certainly not, and here's how you should act on it. I don't think we should be packaging up and here's how you should act on it. We need to train our people to be able to take insights and go, so what? Because if I'm telling, you know, I kind of have this issue with the podcast of how far do I go from a, and here's so what, right? Versus here's, here's just the information versus here's the additional insight on top of it. What was incremental? What, what did I find that, that I think is really applicable that's versus what's different? And I, I struggle with that. So I think exactly a lot of what you're talking about of when we talk about production, what are we actually trying to produce? Are we trying to produce the car that, or are we trying to produce the experience of a fantastic drive, right? Is it just that we're producing a, uh, uh, you know, a specific good, or are we supposed to be producing like how people interact with it or, or you know, and, and the analogy breaks down when you start to talk about like insights and all that stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think you're getting a bit philosophical here, but um, just to <laughs> just to add on to this, um, uh, this is a quote I I, um, I really like. Don't remember who had it, um, but someone said that data is a message to people in the future. And if you say that data is a message to people in the future, then the data product would be the agreed upon um, way of delivering that message, right? Yeah, I think I think that might have been Joao Rosa. It sounds like something what he would say because the whole hyper object and 4D concept. So, um, so I, I think 
we've gone down a lot of like interesting paths and some of it's philosophical and some of it I think is, is very actionable of just your data transformation team, I think is, is a useful pattern. And, and I do see some people using it. Um, but like when we talk about data mesh, I, I try and tell people that it's okay to not, if data mesh isn't right for you, it's okay. If it's not right right now, it's okay. If it's not right ever, how do you start to think about when you are talking to your clients and things like that and, and other people in that you're interacting with all the time in Dama and your podcast and, you know, the uh, data mesh community, like the maturity model and how do you start to have that conversation about when is the right time? Are you mature enough? Is this even the right fit? That's a great question. Um, and, just before we get started with that, I think maturity models have their flaws, and um, I think there are way too many out there. There are too many, and there are um, too different, but not different enough. So it's kind of hard to compare them um, across. Um, so every time we start working with um, maturity, we kind of have to go through the maturity model and find one that really fits our needs and what we try to discover. Um, which I think is, is, is not really a good <laughs> starting point because then it's kind of hard to compare those. <clears throat> um, but what we have done when we started to to look into um, majority is not just looking at the as is um, and trying to figure out wh where the 2B is and how we get there, but we also look at um, um, we, we have a readiness assessment before we even start um, so looking at the organizational readiness, do we have, um, are we organized to actually um, work in a data mesh fashion? Um, do we have the organizational data management majority? Um, so if um, I want to federate, um, federate the way we are working with data, I need to ensure that everyone's playing by the same rules. And if you are um, in a place where those rules are not defined yet, then maybe you need to centralized before you can federate, um, right? And we're looking at capacity to change. Um, so, right, we are here today. We want to get there tomorrow. Um, what capacity do we need? Do we have the capacity in-house um, or not? Um, and we also look at collaboration readiness. Are we, are we ready to collaborate in our domain and across domains? Are we <laughs> ready to, to share the knowledge we have? Um, because that's also a point, because uh, um, you can talk about silos as much as you want. But I think one of the main problems with silos is that um, people are holding back information um, because they're not comfortable in sharing. Um, so that collaboration readiness is, is really important. Yeah, I think that uh, on a lot of those points, there, there, I, I want to actually dig in a little bit to what exactly you mean by capacity to change, because that that is... English is a frustrating language because it, capacity can mean, do we have enough uh, person power to do it? Like, do we have the um, the uh, kind of free hours or whatever to, to actually devote to this? When you think about, you just add additional responsibilities onto a team that's already overloaded, that's not going to go well versus capacity being the, like, the actual capability of, of change. And so there's, there's both of those, but I think that collaboration readiness and exactly what you said about there are people who are unwilling to share 
And but is it that they're unwilling because they're not willing, or is it because they're nervous? Is it and and why are they nervous? And digging into that because um, I think Sarita Baxt at J.P. Morgan Chase, I, I reference her episodes a lot because uh, or her her specific episode because she gave me an insight that I hadn't ever thought about, which was there are a lot of challenges with just openly sharing your data, right? So in a lot of use cases, you shouldn't just make it so everybody can get to all of the data, you know, and and obviously there's access control and things like that. But there are cases where even you're not sure, should this domain have access or not, because they could use it in a non-compliant way, right? There are non-compliant uses. And so you need to understand that that user, right? That that consumer needs to tell them, this is exactly what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to assure you that we have compliant use. And then that producer is more willing to share because one, they understand how it's going to be used so they can actually figure out how to share that appropriately. But two, they also aren't going to get themselves in trouble by somebody else. You know, it's, it's the, um, oh, uh, somebody stole my car and crashed it into somebody. Am I liable for, for that? Right? Like that's kind of the way data has worked is, well, you gave somebody access, so it's your own fault versus like, we need to make it so that we understand. And if somebody misuses the accountability goes on them because they had enough information to understand that they now did have the accountability. And if they do misuse, it is on them that they're the one that the regulator comes after. They're the one that that compliance comes after. They're the one that that gets in trouble. This is a really interesting part. And um, I talked a bit about change management uh, right in the start, right? And this um, this is why change management is important. Um, change the way we think about um, how we work with data. Um, and we have um, looked into like different learning paths for data. So when transformation team comes on site with a domain, works together with them, um, we have to find different roles that, um, yeah, that you have a learning path uh, associated with. And the first role, and this is maybe the role that everyone in the company should have, is a that data citizen role, um, and that, there are many definitions on what a data citizen is, or could be. Um, but for us, it's just having the minimal knowledge um, that you need to work with data, um, ref, data literacy. Um, but the minimal knowledge includes um, understanding the importance of data um, for your work, having a high-level understanding of what analytics and data is, but also have an understanding of uh, privacy, have an understanding of data ethics. And especially when we talk about data ethics, I think that's where um, what what you talked about comes in, right? If you want to create that space of safety where it's safe to share data, you have to agree on ethical rules for the company um, to work on. And those rules should be, um, yeah, should be <laughs> um, agreed upon on, on a company level. And, and that you also teach people how to think about ethics because it's like, well, this wasn't specifically banned, right? I, I just heard um, 
uh, a podcast I was listening to that's not data related, but somebody in in a hotel um, took the electric kettle and used it to boil crabs. And there, there are, and the hotel fined them and said, you know, we need you to buy, we need to buy a new kettle. And we also had to, to deodorize the room for many days. So we couldn't actually use it because of that. And they were like, well, nothing in the literature said, don't use the electric kettle to boil a crab. So therefore, because you didn't do it, like, um, there's an old, um, episode of a TV show in, in the U S where um, it says like there's a sign outside of a bar that says like no boogie boarding allowed in the bar because they're you know they were doing it when there was like a flood or whatever and it flooded the the bar and so people were like screwing around and doing that stuff it's like how explicit do you have to be and, and how do you trust those people like we haven't had that trust historically you look at a lot of the data warehouse folks what they talk about is kind of that people are kind of idiots with data and that we need to deliver entirely the insights to them and we can't give them access to information because they're, they'll misuse it. And East Oldfield talked a little bit about if we don't actually train them how to use data, they will use it to, to get to wrong conclusions if they've got access to it and they don't know what it means. So like, how are you finding that balance and how do you, how do you, like what work do you have to do? Are, are you saying that you have to go company wide and and have everybody get to a data citizen level? Or do you think that you can start to do that domain by domain because you've got the producers that you're maturing and you're maturing the consumers? And like, how, how have you seen that work? Yeah, this is a really interesting part. And I think um, most companies that I've um, been involved with have chosen an incremental right, domain-by-domain domain approach to it. Um, though if you look in the theory, um, that might not be the best approach to it. Um, I've been reading up a bit on, on socio-technical um, systems, and um, it shows that if you, if you choose an incremental approach, um, it always leaves like the old organizational patterns fighting against the new ones, right? Um, and then organization change can can take much longer time or can even fail um, easier than if you if you would choose like a big bang approach um, oh yeah it's it's so Emmanuel Schweizer um, from EMD electronics was talking about they're training absolutely everybody so everybody has the capability right they're they're putting these people they're taking them out of their day-to-day job for like 10 weeks and putting them through this capability. I do think the big bang approach, there are certain aspects that are good, but if you go in and you try and smash a monolith with a sledgehammer, it's you're, it's broken, right? Your entire data, you know, supply chain, your entire data, everything is broken. So I think there can be a big bang approach to using data, but you can't do it to producing because this is is new capabilities that you're teaching people to, to do versus, uh, you know, that where they're responsible versus how do you um, teach people to to actually start to leverage and inform their decisions with data? It's not as much of a cultural change, right? It, it is. It's like this will help you do your job better versus this means you have additional responsibilities. So I think. 
I, I'm constantly recommending against big bang approaches, but I think that's because we always talk about big bang approaches being a change in responsibility. But I don't think, I think it's a really good point to bring up that if it's not responsibility, is big bang the wrong, the wrong approach? To me, it's always been, but that's just because anytime I've seen any big bang, it is responsibilities and it's been bad stuff, right? It hasn't worked well. So I, I would love to hear kind of what you've been working on with that or, or reading on that of, of what are your thoughts on that initially? It doesn't sound like you've got a, this is correct and this isn't, but like, what, what, what are your thoughts? I think there are many ways to skin that one. Um, I, I, I've been where, where you are um, on um, that incremental part, um, always seeing like the Big Bang approach to be too drastic, um, like you said, smashing the monolith. Um, but at the same time, to to a certain degree, I think if you don't change in a Big Bang, you, as I said, you will always have that old the old patterns fighting against the new ones. And especially if we look into that uh, ethics topic, and um, how do how do we want to work with data um, in the company? I think a Big Bang approach makes a lot of sense, and then I would. Have that Big Bang approach really closely, um, closely related to organizational values. Um, so if you say, like, you know, those typical organizational values, we are we are honest, we are innovative. Um, but what does that even mean? What does that mean if we work with data? What does what does it mean to be honest um, about our work with data? Try to link that to to those values on on a high level as that. And and implement those in a big bang. I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's funny to think of teaching empathy and teaching ethics as a big bang, but I I do think that that's that does prevent the issues, especially as you are starting to think about um, uh, going for actual self serve from a, a consumer standpoint. If if people have access to this data, they need to to be capable, but they also need to to really think through. You know, like, um, I'm I'm very very good at finding out information about people because I just know how to Google. I know how to read between the lines. I know how to do that, but I don't do it because it's it's weird and it's creepy and it's it's bad. You know, I I can I can spend a little bit of time looking at how people talk on Twitter or on LinkedIn and how they interact with each other, and then tailor a message to that. And I don't think that's creepy because they're doing public interactions, but like I can find out information that maybe they wouldn't want me to have. And oftentimes I'll tell people, Hey, you know, if I did figure something out, I'm not trying to, but it's like, Hey, you expose this information in this way. Somebody could really figure this out. I don't know if you care about that or not. And they're like, Whoa. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's just putting together a lot of the pieces. And we have that with data where we're trying to do that in a lot of cases where it's not ethical. You look at like Facebook or now they trying to call themselves meta, but really Facebook. Um, so much of what they do is extremely unethical. It's it like, at least in my view, I think in most people's view, if they really knew what they were doing, like they offer all these SDKs for app developers. So that way it makes it easier to develop your app but then it also ships back all the information to Facebook. So they get more and more information on you and they can keep associating it more and more. So like, is that ethical? To me, absolutely not. And, and we start to talk about 
what data do we have versus what data could we have? Do we want to start collecting data on people um, that are using our, our um, you know, if you think about a retailer, we we may be able to leverage every bit of information that we can about somebody, but is it ethical to collect? Is it ethical to put that together and really push back on that? I, I think that's that's important. And, and I do think it's something that people haven't really had to think about. I guess from my perspective, I've always thought about it because I have just the way my brain works. I have information access that most people don't. And so like now that we're able to try and do that in our systems, should we? It's it's a, it's a really, what have you seen when you're talking to people about that stuff? I, I don't think this is something that has really matured uh, yet. I think people have a natural um, compass for such uh, such things, an ethical compass, um, and that that kicks in as soon as you are working with that data, um, hands on. Uh, but on the other side, data could also be like this um, abstract thing that is floating in the background. You don't really get to touch it. You don't really get to feel it. And then the ethical compass is is, is certainly off. And um, and that's why it's really important to have that notion of um, doing doing right, even if no one's looking, right? Um, yeah, and and that even yeah, even if it would be of value, like what is that worth it, right? And and uh, are the return on investment or the shareholder returns really worth you know a lot of what's going on in the US, putting people at risk, right? Like there's that we're putting people at legal risk of all sorts of um, horrible outcomes by collecting certain information. So like, how do we do just because we can doesn't mean we should, I think. Uh, and, and just because it might be valuable doesn't mean we should. So yeah, um, I, I didn't expect us to go that much down the ethics route. But I do think it's crucial when we think about organizational maturity as well, that we really like what what have you seen that you're bringing in and when right like how do you how do you start to bring up these things are you bringing this these things up with the clients or or are clients pushing back and saying no no we don't want to even talk about the ethics it's not like they don't want to talk about it it's just like um they don't see the value in it um and that's probably the case for for a lot of <laughs> the data management topics right um because you you don't really see the business value um, immediately, right? Um, so you, do, you don't see the business value of um, creating a great ethics catalog um, for, your, for your company as little as you see the business value of, of putting a lot of money into um, data quality work um, because the return of investment is, is often indirect, right? And um, the return of investment for a great ethics catalog is um, is how your company is viewed um, externally, right? If you are engaging in um, the kind of activities that Meta is engaging in, then um, that reflects on how people view you, right? Yeah, and you might have been able to grab a lot of business value in the meantime. And so, you know, it, it would be a little bit better if we didn't uh, reward people quite as much that are doing the unethical things and, and that we did reward people more. I think 
but I do think like disclosure and making people aware of, of what that, um, how people are actually interacting with their data, I think we'll see more laws around it. And so the people who have been doing the right thing for the, the longest time will then all of a sudden be like, Hey, we don't have to do anything for this because we've already been doing it. Um, so we've talked a little bit, a, a bit of a hard shift, happy to talk more about ethics if you'd like, but a bit of a hard shift that when we were talking about um, in the pre-call about working with different levels of maturity. And, and I think this kind of ties into a little bit of what we were talking about of data literacy and all that, but like, how do we think about figuring out how mature a domain is and which domains we should work with relative to that. I had an interesting call where somebody said, you know, the most data mature domains are actually going to be the ones who are least likely to want to do data mesh because they want to build everything themselves. So their consumers are going to force them to do data mesh because they want to actually have interoperability and all that. So like how, when, when people start to think about, well, some of my aspects of my, you know, H&M, uh, Eric Haru talked about this. Some of the domains are very, very um, data mature with AI and capabilities and all this, but some are, are not as mature. So how do you start to think about who do you work with first? Are you trying to bring all the laggards up? Are you trying to do that? And, and how do you get them kind of incented to do whatever data initiative, not just data mesh? What you just said uh, really fits with what, uh, what I have experienced as well. Um, so the, the most mature domains are the ones that um, they want to do everything by themselves. Um, they're also coming up with their own definitions of what a data product is. They're coming up with their own um, own ways of of um, eating them further down the stack. Right? They want to get to the to the raw material um, and work with that. Um, so how do you get those in, in line? I don't know if that's the right term. <laughs> Maybe maybe there, there 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 should be a difference. Maybe not every uh, domain should be on the same level, um, and maybe that's that's not a bad thing. Um, but at the same time, when we look at data maturity um, and do those maturity assessments, um, we are looking at the maturity in certain um, capabilities for data. So capability could be tech, could be process, could be people, um, but a um, that gives us a ground to to compare the domains on. So if you say, well, we have a capability that is data lifecycle management as a capability, or we have a capability that is data provider management, then we wanted to measure that capability um, in every domain. And maybe some domains are a bit further ahead in, in a couple of capabilities, others are further ahead in others. Um, so that makes it more concrete on what you're working on. With the different domains, breaking it down and I think into the capabilities is is helpful. And and which I mean, you are working with a couple of people around data mesh. If somebody were to be picking kind of their early domains, you look for the people who are willing to work with you, but also like what are the capabilities that you would look for, and what are the ones where if somebody doesn't have these capabilities, you might want to circle back with them later. Well, there's a difference between the capabilities that um, I would look for uh, on, a, on a central stage uh, compared to the capabilities that um, the different domains are looking for, <laughs> looking for. And 
um, if you bring in the business people in addition to it, then you get a whole different picture, um, which I find quite interesting because um, the more we talk to business people, the more data governance becomes a um, capability that is um, what a great expectations towards um, compared to others. Um, which I found a bit interesting because uh, when we did our data governance uh, implementations earlier, um, we always went by the mantra, never talk about data governance. Just just do it, show the value, and then you can say, well, you got the value because we did data governance. Um, so this is a, there's a bit of a change happening there. Um, so business central are kind of working towards the same capabilities. Um, while the domains are working towards more capabilities that um, further their innovation specter, that further their data science analytics. Um, so really the, the value creation through data. So if, if I'm, I'm early in a data mesh journey, I just want to see if I'm, I'm understanding you. I should, I mean, you always want to look for the domains that are willing, but like the domains that are going to actually be capable you want to look for ones that understand what they have to take on, even if they're not capable of it yet, that they, they, they get that they're like, okay, we get that we have to get to this versus somebody who's like, oh yeah, yeah, we can share our data. Here's access to our database. We're done. Right. Like that, that they go, Hey, we know we're not mature. We know we're not there yet, but we know more about where, where we need to go. Those are the ones that you would work with First, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that is that what you're looking for? True, because you. And now we're tying it back to um, what we talked about earlier: that uh, organizational readiness and data data management maturity readiness and the capacity to capacity to change, the collaboration readiness. All those things um, tie together here, right? Um, so you want to look for those domains that have the capacity to change, that have that collaborational readiness, and that have that organizational readiness as well. Yeah, and that might not be um, the domain that is um, the front runner. Well, and, and I think one of the things that I hear from a lot of people that are frustrated in their implementation is they're going to the domains that have the most valuable data, but they're the most valuable data to other domains, and so they're not the ones that are saying, "Yeah, I'm bought in," right? That I'm not the one that that has the willingness to change because. Okay, great. My my data is useful for everybody else. What do I get from it? Why am I incented to do this? Um, in in banking, in financial services, there's actual money transfer where the um, the consumer will pay the producer, like literally pay the domain. You know, there's money transfer between the domains to to go and do this. And it's like, okay, then I'll do the work. But in so many organizations, we don't have that that funding method, and so I think um, what you're talking about is is really important to helping you to select your kind of first few and and look for the ones that maybe aren't the most um, mature in capability yet, but they have the most capability to mature. <laughs> is that? Is is that the a good way of putting it? I, I don't know if that's overly uh, uh, trite or or whatever about it. You put it into a key key phrase. That I like that. Um, that's 
I, I think there are two two major trends trends that we are seeing, and the one is that um, well, we need to combine data um, with data governance and change management. That's the one thing. The other thing is um, um, creating business value through data. Um, so there's much more focus on um, value creation, much more focus on um, business cases, much more focus on finding the right use cases to work with that actually create value in the end. Um, we had uh, we invited um, Douglas Lenny um, to to Norway, who who wrote a book about infonomics, so the the um, economics of information. Um, and I think there's a there's a great trend towards that, um, and that ties in with what you said about um, well <laughs> the ones that have the most money or where you can create the most value for the business. Those are the ones that um, are often um, often preferred yeah right. well and they're but they're reluctant because they don't have if, if you don't incentivize them correctly and 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 that type of thing it's um what is in it for them why should they do this if mm. if um and so you know we look for use cases that are within the domain and things like that but if they're if they have the most uh valuable data and their data mature and they're they're like well we can just build it for ourselves you're gonna have difficulty um, getting them to to uh, participate, and that that's okay, right? Um, Scott Hawkins in his episode talked about if you're having difficulty with a domain, it's okay to just walk away. Like it, it feels like we we have to get everything right with data, but like doing incremental value delivery, increment like continuous incremental value delivery, continuous incremental improvement, we haven't had those capabilities in data. So you did talk about how incremental means that you kind of are, you know, it's, it's okay. Am I just starting by pushing the boulder or am I building up enough momentum to push the boulder? But, you know, is it with that, with a big bang approach, is it that I only did a shove or is it that I built up enough momentum and I'm keeping the momentum to keep the ball rolling forward instead of just one specific shove? Um, there it's all a balance between that but yeah i think um we do need to fa- focus very much on why are we doing this what why would we do data mesh it's value creation it, it makes it easier to create incremental value it makes it so that we can do these things that we we don't have this tight coupling where when the real world changes our data can't change because everything is so rigid and structured but it's going to take a while for us to get there and we don't all want to rush there and that we want to focus constantly on not the data mesh. Isn't the point. The data mesh is the way that we create more value more easily, more quickly, and that we can react better. It's not your data strategy. It's not any strategy. It's an implementation factor for what you're trying to do because your data strategy is, oh, we're trying to become much more data informed or, or data driven or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think we're both preaching to each other saying the same things about this stuff. But so um, we've, we've covered a whole lot of things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you think we should before we kind of head into the end of the episode here? Or is there any way that you would like to sum things up? I think we covered um, most of it. Um we didn't talk that much about organizational patterns that we <laughs> we intended to, um, 
but that's okay. I think there's uh, there's still a lot to talk about. Um, maybe for another episode. Yeah, we'll we'll find somebody to to come on your episode to talk about what they're actually Perfect. doing with the organizational patterns. I think that's a good next step on that. Well. Again, uh, Winfried, this has been so great. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm sure that people want to follow up. Where's the best place uh, to do that? And what do you want people following up about? Well, best place would be LinkedIn, um, I guess. And um, I'm also quite active on the on the Slack, uh, Data Mesh Learning. Um, we have an own channel for, uh, for the Norway community. Um, so everyone from Norway who wants to join, just uh, send a message to to Scott or me. Okay, that sounds great. And yeah, and obviously across a lot of different topics, or if they want to be on your podcast too, maybe they can sure. reach out yeah. as well. Um, okay, well, again, thank you so much, Winfried, for the time today. And, and thank you as well, everyone out there for listening. Thank you. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Winfried Etzel, who's an information strategy consultant at the consulting company Bouvet. He's also a board member of Dama Norway and host of the Meta Dama podcast, which also has episodes again in English and Norwegian. You're going to find a link to his podcast as well as a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.